Well, if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 5. We're continuing in our series in the gospel. And there have been a couple people who have asked why we are going so quickly through the gospel of Mark. How can you possibly study through a book of the Bible and go a chapter at a time? Well, Mark, as you know, is one of the gospels. There are four of them. And a gospel is a very particular genre of scripture in the Bible. You know, there are different types of writings, right? There are poems and there are laws and there are uh, letters and there are gospels and there are prophetic writings. Well, the gospels are written as historical uh, compilations. So they're taking the history of Christ's life and the authors have compiled them in a particular order to communicate a particular message. All four of the gospels do something that no other book in the Bible does and that is generally trace the life of Jesus from beginning to end. All four of them end with his death, his burial, his resurrection, and uh, they are the the foundation stones from uh, in which we understand how Christ lived, what he did, what he taught, and uh, particularly modeling for us that sacrificial love that that he showed to us while he was on earth. All four of them begin in different ways. It's kind of interesting. Matthew and Luke both start with Christ's birth. The Gospel of Mark begins with Christ's baptism. And the Gospel of John begins at the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the Word became flesh. And so each of these Gospels show us, they walk us through the life of Christ. So what Pastor Bill has been leading us through is a walkthrough of Christ's life from New Year's, hoping to get to his resurrection at Easter time. Now, we as uh, evangelicals, non-denominational, not high church, we don't know anything about what a church calendar looks like. But in the older churches, the higher churches, the idea of time being marked through certain special days and certain holidays is a regular part of their worship. Uh, We have lost some of that because we just don't always recognize the, uh, the historical markers that the church has historically honored. But as we go through this gospel, this, uh, this quarter, getting ready for Easter, we're trying to keep in pace with the book of Mark so that we will hit Passion Week, Good Friday, Resurrection, and Ascension as we get to that part of the, of the Christian calendar. So we may be hurrying through, but it's hurrying with a purpose. And uh, Pastor Bill does not do anything willy-nilly, so we're, we're going with it. This morning, we're going to cover the entire book or the entire chapter of Mark chapter 4. How many of you have read it this week? How many of you knew we were doing Mark 4 this week? How many of you knew we were in the Gospel of Mark? Okay, there's some. Excellent. Perfect. If you are in our generations group, you will hear uh, something right now that I say almost every week. If you are with us in the men's study on Wednesday night when we started a study in the book of Zechariah, this will be a repeat. But I encourage you as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are coming here on a regular basis to worship, Don't just show up on Sunday unprepared. We are going collectively through the Gospel of Mark. I would ask you to consider taking it seriously and reading through the Gospel of Mark as a regular habit through your week. You know, I've grown in a habit over the last maybe six or eight months of listening to the Bible. You may have heard me mention this before. So there's a bajillion apps out there that will read the Bible to you, but I listen to the Bible read to me. And I will go at double speed so that I can get through it quickly. But what it does is it saturates my brain with the Word of God so that when I'm in it, whether I'm teaching it or I'm receiving it, my mind has already been chewing on the passage before I even get there. So I encourage you, some of you, take some time each week just to listen through at least 
parts of the Gospel of Mark, if nothing more than the chapter that we're going to be studying on that particular Sunday. It's pretty easy. This week is chapter four. Next week is chapter five. So you've got two chapters of homework. Yes, I just gave you homework. But it's for your own good. Trust me. It's going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me. But uh, enjoy that and prepare as we come to the Word together each week. The Gospel of Mark is an interesting gospel because Mark... um, A lot of scholars uh, connect Mark with Peter, so that as Mark is writing out his gospel, he's actually writing out Peter's recollections. This Mark is the same Mark, John Mark, that was in conflict with the Apostle Peter. This is possibly the same John Mark that uh, was the host of the upper room meal in Jerusalem that night. It may also be the same gentleman that is described without name running naked through the garden when Jesus was being arrested. But it's interesting taking all of those things into, a, into account as we're, we're reading through the Gospel of Mark, because Mark, and not surprisingly, just like Peter, he is about business. He is showing how busy Jesus is. The word immediately has already been used 12 times in the Gospel, because Mark wants us to get a sense of what Jesus is doing as he's working through his days, as he's working through his weeks, as he's interacting with people. And he is busy doing things for a purpose. And Mark wants us to understand very clearly that Jesus is moving to demonstrate his authority. Jesus is is trying to convince us through his actions, through his words, through his life, that he is the Messiah, that he is Jesus, the Son of God. And when we read through the Gospel of Mark, when we study through the Gospel of Mark, we need to remember Mark's purpose, and that is Mark wants you to ask, who is this man? Who is this man? And he wants you to answer it by saying, This Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. The gospel begins with, this is the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. In chapter 15 at the cross, one of the the guards looks up at Jesus dying and he says, surely this is the Son of God. It's the beginning and the end of the gospel. Mark wants us to ask that question. Who is this man? Do we trust in him? Do we see him as a sovereign in our lives? Do we see him as a source of authority in our lives? Now, many of us are here today because we're Christians, because we have chosen the worldview of Christ being the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior who died on the cross for our sins, the one who shepherds and guides and directs us. But I ask you the question this morning, do you really, in a practical sense, live that out? Do you really live out his authority in your life? Mark is showing us through Jesus' example that he is the sovereign. In chapter 1, as he begins speaking, uh, the question that keeps arising among the masses is, who is this one that speaks with such authority? In his speech, he is authoritative. He's showing his sovereignty. He is sovereign over spirits as he's casting out demons. He's sovereign over sin as he, he, conf- he uh, declares forgiveness for the man lowered be, uh, through the roof, if you remember. He is uh, declared, he's demonstrated as authoritative and sovereign over sickness. In his interactions with the, the religious leaders, he's showing himself authoritative over the Sabbath. And at the end of chapter four, we're not going to look at it in detail, but if, if and when you read it, you'll see Jesus is authoritative and he is sovereign even over the storms. As he stands up in the boat and he tells the storm to be at peace, and it does, it obeys. And I love the way that chapter four ends with a question from the disciples. And the disciples say, and remember, it's the same disciples that had already seen Jesus heal the sick, cast out demons, 
stand up against the religious leaders, and he just uh, calms a storm, and, and the disciples ask themselves, who is this one that even the storms obey him? And so I come back to that question with us. Do you really believe that Jesus is your authority? Do you really listen to his voice as the one who can command your actions, change the way you think about things? Is his worldview yours? Do you want his worldview to be yours? I think these are the questions that Mark wants us to ask. And as we look into the passage today, we're going to see some more of that. Well, sandwiched in between Jesus' authority over the Sabbath and Jesus' authority over the storm, Mark compiles these three parables on seeds. I call them the parenthetical seeds because there's three, three parables about seeds tucked in the middle of chapter four that all speak a message about the kingdom of God in particular. And now I want to look at these three in particular and the most well-known of the three uh, in even more closer detail as we finish this morning. But let's look together in Mark chapter 4, and we're going to read just Jesus' teaching on the three parables. We'll go back and look at them one by one in some form, and then we'll rest on the most famous of the three. But before we read, let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning thankful, thankful that you have allowed us to become your children I thank you, Father, that you have called us to repent and to return to you. I thank you, Father, that you've empowered us through your spirit to be restored. But God, we mostly thank you for the amazing work of Jesus Christ, the fact that he was promised, the fact that he was delivered, the fact that he died, rose again, ascended to glory, continues to intercede for us. And God, it's the life that he has provided for us that we live in even this morning. And God, we rely on your Holy Spirit to teach us, to bring these things to light so that we would not be people that just simply hear the word, but that we would be people who hear and embrace and grow in the word. I pray, Father, that your spirit would do that in us, that today we might leave different than when we came in. And we pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Look with me first at Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat, and he sat on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing the yielding, and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears, let him hear. Now jump down to verse 26. Jesus speaking again, he said, and, I, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produced by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And then continuing in verse 30, 
And Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Repeatedly through this chapter, I think four times, Jesus calls the people to hear. Twice he says, let him who has ears, let him hear. How many of you have ears this morning? How many of you are good listeners? Spouses, how many of your spouses are good listeners? We are very good at hearing. We're not very good at listening. Jesus is calling us to not only have ears, but to use them to listen. And not just the sounds, but letting it come into your heart. He begins the first parable by by saying, listen. He says, listen to what you have been heard. Let it sink into your souls. Let it sink into your minds. And he does this using these three parables. We're going to look at the last one first. So look with me at verse 30 to 32. The question is asked, what can we compare the kingdom of God to? What parable or what comparison can we make so that we might understand what the kingdom of God is like? You've heard Pastor Bill talk about the kingdom of God on a number of occasions. Um, And it's a, a theme that he continues to come back to. So I don't need to go through and define what the kingdom of God is. But Jesus is trying to encapsulate it in some way for the people. And he chooses to use a parable of a seed, a small seed. And he said, the kingdom is like a small mustard seed. And you've heard before that the mustard seed is of the smallest of seeds, especially in that area at that time. And when it is planted, it has become a, a, a fairly good-sized shrub. Certainly, we don't think of mustard plants as being like large trees that fill like the redwoods in California. We think of a, of a shrub or a bush. But Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this small seed that when it is thrown down in fertile ground, it grows up and it becomes something that others can nest in, others can rest in. It gives shade. It gives protection. So this unlikely little seed becomes something that is great and worthy of attention. And if you look through the, 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 the channels of time, you see that God does this. He brings up something that's unexpected, and he plants it, and he uses it for his glory. And something very small and, and, and seemingly insignificant and unexpected turns into something that is fantastic and great. You think of God calling Abraham, uh, really a no man in a land, And he says, I'm going to take you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to take you to this land, and I'm going to plant you, and you're going to grow. He pulls Moses out, a man. This man, after wandering in the desert, is going to be the one that leads his people out of the land. David, the smallest of the brothers, the wimp outside with the sheep, he's going to be the one that's going to lead this nation to its greatest point in in history. This, This woman who's never been married is going to be the one that gives birth to the Messiah, This man born in a manger in Bethlehem becomes the the source of life for all of us. Time and time again, even in your life, you've seen God choose the small things, the insignificant things, the little things that turn into great things for his glory. Jesus says if we're trying to figure out how to compare the kingdom of God to something, it's that. We need to be alert to the small things. Why? Because God oftentimes uses the small things to bring about great things. Unfortunately, in our culture particularly, we want to see something that's big and glorious and impressive and larger and upgraded, right? We don't want to look at the small and the simple things. God says be aware of those things. 
And as Jesus is speaking about this little seed being planted that's growing up into something larger and great and branches sprout out, I think he's drawing on the prophecies. Look with me in the book of Ezekiel. I know you were not expecting to go to Ezekiel this morning, but we're going there. Ezekiel chapter 17. Ezekiel is one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. And as the other prophets in the Old Testament did, what, the, what Ezekiel was doing was calling God's people back to remember the Lord. He's giving them a message to remember. You know how to, how to live. You know what to do. You know which God to serve, so just do it. Put away the foreign gods and seek and search the God that you know is to be true, that, that you know to be true, and follow him and be restored and reap the benefit of walking closely with him. But God's people throughout time have consistently rebelled and rejected and disdained him. They, they look away. They go away. They run away to other things. The prophet Ezekiel is speaking about a time that God is preparing to restore his people in some very interesting and unlikely ways. In the middle of Ezekiel chapter 17, pick up with me in verse 22. Thus says the Lord God. Who's speaking? The Lord God. I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar and I will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree. I make high the low tree. I dry up the green tree and I make the the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. I love that. Ezekiel is not speaking at the same time as Jesus. But I think Jesus is drawing from this idea that God, the Father, and his great plan doesn't pick the great and the massive things to bring about his purpose, but rather he brings the unlikely things to bring about his purpose. And in the prophecy, the Lord says, I will take the cedar and I will break off the top part. I'm not going to take that part off and put it down. Instead, I'm going to take a part of the part and I'm going to plant that. And what that will become is something great where branches will go out, uh, provide shade, provide rest, provide protection. Jesus is saying, with what shall we compare the kingdom of God? Something very small and insignificant that once planted will sprout into something that gives life to the nations. You and I as believers in Jesus Christ, we believe Jesus is the source of that kingdom, that his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his continued intercession for us, his gift of the Holy Spirit to us, all of these are the, the realities in which we live, and we are living out the kingdom of God. In part, there is a kingdom coming yet future, but in part, we're experiencing it today. With what shall we compare the kingdom of God? It is like a mustard seed. The second parable, the middle parable, the kingdom of God, verse 26, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. My favorite phrase here. He knows not how. So you have this man throwing out seed, and he's watering it. He stands up, goes to sleep, wakes up in the morning. He doesn't see much, and then he sees something, and then he sees it growing, and he doesn't know how it works. He just sees that the seed is bearing fruit. It's growing. 
There is a God that is sovereignly, or or sovereignly orchestrating the development of that plant, right? But that man doesn't know. He's just trying to be faithful to nurture and protect and provide for that plant. God says the kingdom of God is like this man who scatters. He doesn't know how, but as he scatters it, it grows, and as it grows, it bears fruit, and as it bears fruit, it needs to be harvested, and God, God, harvested, and God sends the man to harvest. The kingdom of God grows according to God's timeline, according to God's plan. And what we see in Scripture consistently is what God wants to do, God ends up doing. you believe that? What God wants to do, God will end up doing. And we ought to see that as the, the pool in which we live, that we live under the authority of a sovereign and powerful God that has a perfect plan in time, and we as his children are going along with it. And you can choose to fight it, but you will fight against him. Or you can choose to hear his wisdom, see his wisdom, be moved by his direction, and go with him. Because this seed that has been planted will flourish and grow and fill the earth. That's just the way it is. The kingdom of God grows. So we can rest in the branches of the kingdom. We can rest in the sovereign plan of God. Now let's look at the third or the first parable that's listed here, the parable that's most uh, common, most well-known, excuse me, well-known to us. Parable of the sower, which I think is mistitled because it's really not about the, the sower, as we'll see in a moment. Jesus begins the parable by saying, listen, listen. It's very hard when you hear the same message over and over and over again to listen, isn't it? When we hear the same thing again, we, what do we do? We, we tend to go numb, right? We tend to close our ears off. We tend to say, oh, I've heard this before. I don't need to hear that story again. I don't need to hear another message about this. It's ironic because that's the exact point of the parable. The point of the parable is the message is coming at you. You need to not do what you normally do, which is ignore the message. Rather, when the Lord is speaking and the message is coming at you, you ought to have a heart that is receptive to that, that is hearing, that is embracing, that is allowing it to work in you and bear fruit in you. But some of us, many of us, all of us have gone through times in our life where our ears are, blind, are deaf to him, our eyes are closed to him, our heart is hardened towards him. Our desires and our passions are for other things. The voices that are speaking most loudly in our hearts and our minds are not his voice. They're other voices. Have you been there before? Are you there today? Are you busy listening to other voices? Jesus says, listen. Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed the seeds. And as we know, some of the seeds fell along the path. And what happened to the seeds on the path? The birds came down and swooped it up because it was so hard it didn't take the seed to to effect. Some seeds fell upon the rocks, and they sprouted up quickly, but the sun came up and scorched them, and because they had no nutrition and they had no protection from the elements, they wilted away. Some seeds fell upon the weeds, And it grew, and it looked great and lovely, but also with it grew up weeds and thorns, and they began to compete with each other, strangle each other, and the good grain ended up not flourishing because it was in competition. Some seed, though, fell upon good soil that was ready, prepared. It took the seed. It let the seed sink in. 
It caused growth to happen because God causes growth in things that are ready, right? God does this. This is what God does. And some of the soil took the seed and bore fruit. Not just a little fruit, a lot of fruit. More fruit than what was expected. If you remember from the prophet Ezekiel, what is the point of the plant that God puts down? The point of the plant that he plants is to bear fruit, right? We've talked about this before. We talked about it particularly as we were looking at this idea of abiding through the, through the gospels uh, last year, that we abide in Christ so that we can bear fruit for him. And if we're not bearing fruit for him, we are not abiding, period. So oftentimes we hear this parable and we immediately use it as an evangelistic strategy lesson. Well, I need to be a sower that knows exactly how to cast that seed right into the good soil. It's almost like dude perfect. I'm gonna bounce this seed off the ground, off a little bit of atheism, over across these arguments against the, the, the truthfulness of Bible, and I wanna pop right down there in the good soil, right? If I just do that enough, I'm gonna really get the seed where it needs to go. Maybe I can put up blinders so that those bad people don't hear the gospel, but just the people who are ready and receptive and let's filter out all the people who really are not interested and let's really market this thing right down to those that have a soft heart, right? Because that's what Jesus taught, right? He taught that we are to be the sower that casts the seed and drops it into place so that the good people grow and the bad people lose the, lose the seed. Is that the point? I hope you see that that's not the point. Because in the parable, you and I are not the sowers. The Lord God is the sower. Particularly, the Lord Jesus is the sower. And as he's standing on the mountainside, in this case, he's standing in a boat or sitting in a boat, talking to the people in a theater in front of him. He is throwing out the seed. He's throwing out the word to them. And what is the word? What is the gospel that Jesus is speaking to them? Mark has already told us early on in the gospel that Jesus came on the scene proclaiming the gospel. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What is the gospel Jesus was presenting? Have you ever thought about that? I know he's actually, he had a PowerPoint slide. I'm, it, was, it was before, he had a flannel graph. And he had this big flannel graph up and he said, God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. The problem is, you are lost and sinful. And because you're lost and sinful, you need a savior. But God is gonna send a savior uh, uh, spoiler alert, it's me. Wait three and a half years and I'll show you. And if you just believe in me, is that the gospel he was presenting? He wasn't presenting a gospel of himself. He was like every other prophet that was sent before him. He is calling people, repent. The kingdom of God is here. Restore yourself to the Lord God by turning from your false gods and worshiping the Lord again. It's the same thing that you and I need to hear each and every day of our lives. We wake up and we hear the voice, come back. Remember who your God is. Remember who the authority in your life is. Turn everything off and turn back to him. That's the call that Jesus was giving. Repent and return so that I, the Lord God, can restore you. And it's the same call that's coming to you today. Repent, return, so that you can be restored. So I want to look at this parable at the time we have left, not so much as an evangelism lesson about how we can be better sowers, 
I want to look at this as what I think Christ intended it to be, a challenge to the way that we all respond to the way the word comes to us. And how does the word come to us? It comes to, the word, it comes to us through the word as we read it. It comes to us as we're reading the word and the spirit of God is speaking to and through us or to, to us, through it, to us. Sometimes it comes to us when we're sitting in a church like this listening to somebody blah, blah, on up here. Sometimes it comes to us when we're sitting, driving to and from work, listening to a podcast, listening to another pastor, thinking of other things. Sometimes that word of God comes to us and it's very clear. And the question is, are you fostering in your heart a soil that is, that is, uh, that is ready to be fruitful, ready to be receptive? Or is the state of your heart one that is rejecting him, reject, rejecting his leadership, rejecting his guidance, rejecting his authority? I don't know about you, but I want to be one who's receptive. I don't, want other, I don't like when others look at me and say, you're being stubborn. I don't like when others see in me multiple voices vying for my attention and I'm wondering which voice to follow. I'm not talking about a literal voice. Which, which, which influence am I being guided by? What am I being taken to? I want to be one that knows very clearly that Jesus, he is the son of God. He is my voice of wisdom and direction. He is the only source I go to. And if there's another source that's competing with him, I'm going to break those apart because I just want to focus on him. I think what Jesus is getting at here is that each of us can respond in multiple ways to that leading. The question is, which soil are you? So let's look at them together as we bring this down to a close here. The first is, are you resistant? Are you resistant? Stephen is a great leader in the New Testament, and as he's preaching in Acts chapter 7, he, te- he speaks about the people being stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ear and unwilling. No, I love this. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit. Is that said of you? You are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You may know people in your life like I do, that it is every, every conversation is a wrestling match. You ever have people like that? Where there's never a sense of, let's just talk, but rather it's a battle. Because anything you throw out there, good, bad, or ugly, ping, 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 bounces off like, ar- like armor. And sometimes we go through our lives with such a hardness towards God that we're not even listening. We we don't even have an opportunity to have any influence because it's just bouncing off of our heart. It's bouncing off of our ears. And it could be that you are uh, just callous towards God. It could be that you've been a believer for a long time, but you have just grown over time because of your own sinfulness or what you've blamed God for. You become so hardened towards him that when he speaks towards you, it just bounces off of you. But we're also resistant because we're not aware of God speaking. And this is what I think we are more guilty of. I was just talking about it this morning with some of the guys as we were praying, and it's something I've been chewing on in my own life over the last five years or so, and it's maybe something that you've heard me talk about even from this stage. That I think we live with a total ignorance of God's reality in our daily lives. 
Yes, we believe Jesus died on the cross. Yes, we believe that we are filled with the Spirit. Yes, we believe that he's going to come again. But on a day-to-day basis, we really don't have an awareness of God leading and guiding and speaking to us. We don't walk literally as if he is right here walking with us. We may say that in some kind of a nice storm or a song or some kind of an emotional moment. But do you really believe that God is actually with you, walking with you, consulting you, directing you. I think sometimes we don't listen to God because we just don't think that he's actually there. And we're believers, right? I would challenge you if you're in that place this morning, figure out what it is that's causing you to not uh, hear God, to resist his leading in your life. It could be that you're calloused, it could be that you're unaware. But both of those things need to change. If you're calloused, you need the Spirit of God to break you. Sometimes God breaks us through pain. Sometimes God breaks us through his kindness because it's the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. But God may need to do some work in you that you have to deal with. I encourage you, if you're in that category, being resistant to the ways of God, don't allow that to go beyond. After service, come down front. There'll be people up here that would love to spend that time with you. But stop resisting the voice of the God that is leading us to eternal life. Don't resist him. Secondly, there are individuals that are overly reactive. They hear the message of the Lord. They get super excited, and they're bubbly, and they're excited, and they're running around. Oh, isn't God great? I'm doing do. And then as soon as life gets hard, what do they do? They're like, ugh. This isn't right. This isn't accurate. It's not true. Can't believe it. I gotta go find something else. And off to something else. They're grabbing squirrels everywhere they go, trying to find something that's gonna settle their spirit, right? Because they haven't really thought through what the gospel actually is. They think that somehow the gospel is just a quick fix for their moment so they can grow up and cause some fruit to happen. No. The gospel message is a long call to you to obey and change your life so that you might walk with the Lord forever, forever. And those that are in this reactive mode, they are hearing the word, yes, they may come to church every week, you may be sitting here today, they may be in multiple Bible studies, they may be spending time with Christians all over the place, but they sprout up quickly and they fall away quickly. And their life is an up and down, up and down, up and down. I think I may have shared with you before, but I grew up, my father was a pastor, and I grew up with the, with the conviction that if I sin, God stopped loving me. And so my life as a sixth grader, seventh grader, eighth grader was constantly lived sky high, valley low, sky high, valley low. God loves me, oh, I stink. God loves me, I'm forgiven, oh, I'm horrible. And my life was lived in this peak valley match, horrible, no sense of hope. No sense of confidence. No sense of life. It's living in fear. And it wasn't until I understood that God has a long plan for me. And it's a plan for his glory in my conformity to him that I finally got to a place where I could rest. I don't need to, I don't need to overreact to everything. I want to dig, dig, dig deep, deep roots so that I can grow and bear fruit that is honoring to him in everything I do. If you're here this morning and you are that constantly reacting person, the reaction's not bad. 
It's the assumption that if I just react in this way, everything will be okay forever. It's not reality. Eugene Peterson wrote a book called The Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I love the title. It's a great book, but a great title. The Long Obedience in the Same Direction is what the Christian life is. And if you're reactive this morning, react, but not in the way you always react. React with a little bit more thoughtfulness about what you're actually reacting to. And make sure you're reacting to the right voice and the true voice. Don't be a soil that's overly reactive. Third is the soil that's restrained. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy talks about in the end times, in the last days, there will be people who surround themselves with, with speakers that, that tickle their ears, that, that excite their passions. And he's speaking about a time where we will get multiple voices speaking into our lives so that we can pick and choose the ones that feel most comfortable. How many of you have multiple sources of wisdom in your life? Really? Okay. Some honest people. All of us. We have so many inputs, right? Christian radio has turned into preaching moments. Have you noticed that? The, 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 they're not called disc jockeys anymore. The, the, the hosts of the shows will give out pastoral moments and insight and wisdom and counseling in between songs. I'm like, what are you doing? I want to listen to music. I don't want to hear your monologue on stuff. Not criticizing anybody. But even listening to the radio in the car, you're getting input. Do this, do this, think this way, think this way, blah, 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 blah. The songs are telling you to do something. Pastors are telling you to do something. Your group leaders are telling you to do something. Your, the word is your reading is telling you to do something. The people you're watching on the internet are telling you to do something. Your TikTok accounts, the Facebooks, whatever it is you're doing, all of those are giving constant, constant barrages of messages to you. And if you're not careful, you will be growing, but you will be strangled out by everything else. And what do you do in a garden that is full of weeds and thorns and mixed shrubberies? You have to rip the bad ones out, right? Whoever lived in our house before us and maybe before them and maybe before them, the house was built somewhere in the 90s, they did some job, some good job maybe at landscaping, but what they didn't do is they didn't take the old stuff out. Does anybody have a yard like this? So we've got like a cornucopia of shrubbery in the, in the front of the house. There are like 14 species of plants right there. And I look at it and I say, oh, that one is nice, but that's horrible. And why, why is that? And then if I don't, if the, the landscapers don't keep it clean, then it got all this weird combination of just ugliness. And I walk up and Jana walks up and we say, this is the ugliest landscaping, has to be the ugliest landscaping in South Florida. Because it's just a mishmash of all these things that have been allowed to grow up and take form together. And sometimes that's how our Christian thinking is. We allow this voice and that voice and this and this and this, all these to kind of grow up and we're trying to manage them so that they look conformed or in some level of conformity. But the reality is we're being pulled and choked and what really should be growing is not growing because it's being strangled out by all these other things. So maybe let's figure out ways in our lives to cut out those voices that are not helpful. Cut out those sources of truth that will strangle out the goodness of God and his wisdom and his direction. It's very, very hard in a world that is so full of information to know what is right and to know what is good and to know what is worthy. The prayer is, God, search me, know me, guide me 
Surround me with truth. Surround me with people who know truth. Surround me with voices that are louder than the other so that I can hear what is true and not be strangled out by everything else. Because you don't want to be a soil that is restrained from growth. You want to be a soil that allows the word of God to grow and bear much fruit. The last soil is the responsive soil. And Jesus says that the seed is cast on some soil and it's good soil. And because it's good soil, there aren't weeds, there aren't rocks, there's not shallowness, there's nutrients, there's richness. There's something in there that allows. It's not that the soil is working hard to grow. The soil is receptive to the thing that grows, which is the word of God, right? It's the mustard seed that's the kingdom that's planted that grows. It's not the soil that's a really good grower. We need to be people who are responsive to God's word. We allow it to settle into our hearts. And over time, it grows and bears fruits in us because that's what God does. God is a planter and a developer of plants. He, he causes things to grow. That's what he does. So we need to be a soil that is responsive and ready for that. How do you do that? You do that by making sure that you are spending time quietly thinking on a daily basis, whenever you do that, morning, afternoon, night, commute, seven-minute stroll like I do, you know, whatever you do in your day, figure out ways to stop and pause and pull away and just think and chew. For you who have Apple Watches, you have those mindfulness minutes and they bug you all day long. Take a mindfulness minute, ignore their little devotional thought that they give you, and spend a minute just thinking about truth, just breathing and stopping and pausing and pushing stuff out and say, God, Work in me to make me like you want me to be. Be aware of the way that God might be leading and guiding and challenging you. Sometimes God doesn't just lead with a quiet, gentle voice. Sometimes he wants to, would you just listen? We need to be aware and alert to those things. We need to be filling our minds with the word of God. We need to be reading and listening and paying attention to his truth. We need to be aware of the people around us that are giving us godly wisdom. I was just in Job this morning reading through the Bible and, and at the end of Job 28, there's a big long series of questions. Where is wisdom found? You can't buy it. There's no gold on earth that can be, trans, that can be exchanged for it. You can't dig deep and find it or go to the highest heavens and find it. Where is wisdom? And he says in the end, the wisdom is fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Fear the Lord meaning I'm aware that Jesus Christ is the authority in my life. Love this question, is God in control? What's the answer? Of course he's in control. The more important question is, is God in control of your life? Is God in control of the way you think? Is God in control of the way you talk? Is God in control of the way that you live out your life, the decisions you make in business and home and family and parenting? Is God in control in those spaces or is he just generally and ambiguously in control of all things? It's a no-doy statement. God is sovereign. But the question is, is God sovereign in me? Is God sovereign in you in, in a practical level? I want to be a, a soil that is responsive to the work of God. I want you to be a soil that is responsive to God, individually and corporately as a church. I want us to be a place that is responding to the direction and the leadership of the Lord so that we can make great impact in this community. 
because that's what God intends for us. He intends us to be planted, that we might bear fruit, branches out, the world nests in us. Not in us, but in God and his work. What soil are you going to be? Do you need to make changes today? I encourage you when you're done. Uh, Clay is going to come out and lead us in a, following, a closing song. But there'll be people up here in the front. Now, this isn't the only time you can change your life. But right now you're being convicted about something, so do it now. You know, all those reactive people, now's your moment. Come on down. But not just a quick, I'm just going to be cool this day or that day. Come and make a decision to earnestly seek the Lord and get help. The word is going out to you. What kind of soil are you going to be? Let's pray together. Father, from all of eternity, you have been a God that initiates communication. You decided to create. You decided to plant man and woman in the garden. You decided to provide him all things. You, you decided to invite Abraham. You decided to call your people back to yourself. You sent out prophets to bring people home. You sent out the Messiah to bring us back to yourself. God, you are constantly initiating, constantly sending out an invitation to come. And God, unfortunately, some of us are resistant to that. Some of us have really not thought that through and we think that we've made enough decisions in the past and we don't need to worry about it again. Some of us, Father, respond positively to everything we get and so we're tied up in knots, unclear, misdirected. But God, what we want is to be people who are responsive to your spirit, responsive to your word, responsive to your leading. We want to be people that are soft and ready and receptive. We want to have the nutrients of your word in us so that that, that word that comes and implants in us would, would grow and grow and grow and grow. God, we don't want to just produce a little fruit. God, we want to produce a lot of fruit because we know that that fruit gives honor to our maker. I pray, Father, that you would do that work in us, that you would, even now in these moments, that you would do that work in hearts of people, that they would come forward, that they would pray today to begin that process, to begin that journey of living out your glory in their lives. I pray that you would do that work. But I pray, God, that each of us would leave having heard something. And having heard, Father, I pray that we would not be hardened, but that we'd be responsive and that we would go out and do for your glory. We pray that in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.